Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is a podcast where my wife and I critique and argue over horror films like a couple of weirdos at the bar. So maybe we never quite enlighten you. Maybe we never blow your mind. Maybe we never kill your whole family. And <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and write your next stop with their blood on the wall. Fuck, dude. <laughs> I don't know. I got nothing for this one. <laughs> Uh, but hopefully you just have a good time listening. So tonight we are kicking off our month-long theme that you all voted for on Twitter, which is women burn shit down. And yeah. and and gee, like where could we have possibly gotten that idea from uh, for a reason that we should be talking about something like this this month. But <laughs> we are going to be starting off, in case you haven't already guessed, with the 2013 film You're Next. Quote. Which is directed by Adam Wienerd, who shot his first feature, Homesick, at the ripe young age of 19, uh, and then got attention for his next film, I think around the time he was 24, uh, called Pop Skull. He essentially is from the, I don't know if this is like what they call it, but I sort of have dubbed it like the School of Larry Fessenden, which, uh, who is the uh, actor who appears in the first scene of the movie. Which, uh, along with other filmmakers that appear in this film, like Ty West, uh, and it's basically just this kind of group of guys who work together, and, you know, and and, uh, Wienerd was one of those that kind of have come out since and done a lot of these just really great low-budget indie horror movies. Wienerd has since gone on to do The Guest, uh, which is fantastic if you've never seen it. It's arguably, it's definitely my second favorite movie of his behind your next uh, and then it has gone on to do bigger Hollywood stuff like Blair Witch and recently Godzilla vs. Khan. So now he's involved in like the mega budget shit. Uh, but he came from the small place of Indie Horse. <laughs> uh, and that's why we love him. And I love Wienerd. Uh, but the film was written by Simon Barrett, who is a frequent collaborator of Wienerd's. Uh, he also wrote Wienerd's film A Horrible Way to Die, The Guest, Blair Witch, uh, VHS that they worked on together. I think they did the first two films. Uh, He recently made his feature directorial debut with the film Seance, which I was kind of mixed on. I think I think Barrett's got a really cool style. I just wasn't blown away by the script for that one. Uh, But I'll give it another chance at some (laughs) points. And the film stars Sharni Vinson as Erin. So she's an actress who was born in Australia, uh, was a trained dancer, which she ended up incorporating a lot of into her very physical role here in your next like. That's part of the reason for my understanding that she was excited to do the movie is she wanted to really get physical in a film like this. (laughs) And boy, howdy, does she. (laughs) And boy, howdy, Chris. Um, (laughs) uh, She gained popularity in Australia with a show called Home and Away, 
uh, before breaking into the American scene with the film Step Up. And then you're next, you know, kind of introduce her to horror fans. And she's since done the film Bait, which we've talked about on the show before. That's a lot of fun. The shark movie. Patrick, Evil Awakens, which is part of the Patrick series, <laughs> if you've never seen it. Uh, the House on Willow Street. So she's had, she's had a bit of her run, but, you know, I posted the other day on Twitter that I badly feel like we just did not get the sort of Sharni Vincent era that I feel like yeah. uh, that I feel like we should have because she's so incredible in this film, and we'll definitely talk more about that later. But let's see, the film also stars A.J. Bowen as Crispin, uh, who's a longtime friend of Leonard and Barrett. The role was basically written for him, <laughs> and he's also appeared in various indie horror films such as The Signal, The House of the Devil, which is also from Ty West, who's in the movie, uh, Hatchet 2, I Trapped the Devil, which he also produced, and just... So many more. He's been in a ton of things. <laughs> uh, it also has Joe Swanberg, who is Drake, who the film, his part was also written for him as well. So he's <laughs> another friend of theirs. And he's appeared in A Horrible Way to Die, VHS, Off Season, which recently dropped on Shudder, I believe, which I absolutely adore. You should check that out. Uh, he's a writer as well who wrote the film The Rental, which, was, which came out recently and was directed by Dave Franco. Not a huge fan of the movie, but I do think it's cool that, you know, he, he's actually a pretty prolific writer who's written quite a few features. Yeah. And then, you know, we only get so much time for the cast, so I wanted to make, so there are other characters who are more important to the movie, but I wanted to mention, of course, Barbara Crampton. Gotta <laughs> mention her. Uh, who stars in the film as Aubrey, the uh, mother of Crispin and many of the, and much, and the family in the film. And it, she... You know, spent is a really interesting actress who spent her childhood traveling with a carnival that her dad worked for, just traveling across the country. She made her big screen debut with a brief role in Brian De Palma's Body Double uh, before kind of breaking out in Stuart Gordon's Reanimator. And, you know, she did a ton of work with him, including From Beyond and Castle Freak, uh, which are all incredible. Uh, and then, it, you know, she also did films like Chopping Mall came out of semi-retirement basically to do Year Next uh, because she was just very intrigued by the role and the filmmakers really wanted her because they're huge fans of hers. And I get it. She's like, you know... She's, she's one horror of the, royalty. She's horror royalty, yes. Barbara Crampton is our queen. Yes. <laughs> and it was great that she came out for Year Next. I remember being really excited for her uh, coming back to do this movie. It was one of the draws for me and like, oh shit, I got to see this thing. And... It, you know, afterwards, her career basically became totally revitalized. You know, uh, she went on to do films like We Are Still Here, uh, Beyond the Gates, and many more. She recently produced and starred in Jacob's Wife, which is a lot of fun. Uh, she has a column in Fangoria now and is just oh, like shit. a big supporter of the horror community and does all kinds of things. So thank you, Your Next. You know, if anything, like if there are any of you out there who are like met on Your Next or anything like that, we can at least thank the film for giving us back Barbara Crampton yes. <laughs> uh, and bringing her out of semi-retirement to just completely blow the horror community away once again. So if you've never seen Your Next, it's essentially a home invasion film with a twist uh, where a uh, woman played by Sharni Vincent named Aaron is basically traveling with her boyfriend Crispin to meet his family for the weekend and once they get there, you know, this whole big family uh, basically finds themselves under attack by a trio of mass killers. And then it turns out that Aaron is not quite the helpless victim uh, <laughs> that they think she is. <laughs> no, she's fucking awesome. <laughs> she is fucking awesome. So uh, this movie rules. It, yep. it, it's I highly recommend you check it out before listening to the rest of this. Unfortunately, it's not streaming that I know of. 
but it's well worth the rental. I think if you've never seen it, you'll have a lot of fun with this yes. movie. And we will be spoiling the whole thing, so do recommend checking it out. But before we get into spoilers, we have our usual tagline versus the film. So we'll let you know when we're about to get into spoilers. So the tagline for your next was, well, so the tagline for your next, I found quite a few. I don't know what the official tagline was for this movie. Mm -hmm. uh, but the one that I just pulled because I thought it was fun is, the animals will hunt you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what do you think of the tagline? What do you think of your next overall? Yeah, no, I'm down for it. I like it. Like, especially since so many of the posters just had, like, the animal-faced killers on them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, good tagline. I'm okay with that. I fucking love this movie. I'm so excited about this entire month, but I'm especially excited to talk about your next because I just think it's such a fun, like, home invasion with so many cool, like, twists and turns and really great character acting from everybody who's kind of a part of this did a great job. Mm. And, like... Look, one of the things I also like about it is I feel like it gives us a new elevation of Final Girl with Aaron um, and kind of like the twist we find out with Aaron as the movie goes on. And it's not something that I don't want to see a whole bunch of Final Girls like Aaron because it's not super relatable. Fair. But I fucking love her and I would totally be down for seeing more Final Girls who are so fucking efficient and fucking bloody because like Aaron takes no shits from anybody and I think that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point that I, I think we get into later once we get into her character. But no, she kicks ass in this movie yeah. and and you know that that whole basically twist with her, you know, <laughs> having one up on the killers, I guess you could say, was a big reason that I think this film really hit home with a lot of people, you know, that mm -hmm. a lot of people really enjoyed this uh, because, you know, it's basically a subversion of both home invasion movies and slasher films yeah. and kind of mixed together in this. And it, so, so no, that element of it is great. And, it, you know, I remember seeing this for the first time and just being blown away by that mm -hmm. and just how kick-ass... <laughs> this movie is and how gory it is and how fun the kills are and and also feeling very frustrated that you know uh because we we had seen this with a pair of friends of ours and also feeling very frustrated walking out and they were just kind of like eh, you know didn't really like it that much <laughs> and, and well the movie did do pretty well you know that that does seem to be kind of the response from some general audience members to the film because they didn't get the comedy of it Aww. you know like a like this you know this is still a low budget film i think yeah. the budget was around a million dollars or something like that it was the first time that adam wiener really had a budget <laughs> to work <laughs> with uh that he was being given and and you know i i think that uh, a lot of film goers you know people who aren't maybe dedicated to horror big horror fans you know, I think they might not have understood the comedic element of it. <laughs> oh. And, and that seems to be something that, that Wiener and Barrett kind of complain about with the, you know, with audiences not really getting that this movie is supposed to be funny in certain areas. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think some film goers kind of walked away like, oh, you know, this is just low budget crap and bad acting or whatever. It's like, no, it's good yeah. acting. Yeah. Uh, they're supposed to be making you laugh, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> but that that's neither here nor there, you know? So the film did do pretty well. I think that it's opening weekend, it got like $8 million and, mm. and worldwide about, you know, maybe just under 30 or something, which is pretty good for a million. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I just, again, I really love this whole subversion of the home invasion genre, which is not one of my favorites uh, because it yeah, generally... <laughs> 
it generally tends to be pretty grim and cruel, you mm. know. So so this film was inspired, like some direct influences for for Wiener and Barrett were uh, Funny Games and The Strangers, both of which are just horribly depressing, yeah. like great movies, but horribly depressing. <laughs> I feel real sad and, afterwards. Right. And, and their approach to this was to kind of take the genre and make it a little bit more fun. And so, you know, Home Invasion is interesting because I'm not a huge fan of it, but when it's done well, I really like it, you know? Yeah. Uh, like like some of my favorites personally are like Wait Until Dark with Audrey Hepburn, uh, which is an amazing movie. If you've never seen it, it's great. Audrey Hepburn plays uh, a blind woman who is attacked by a bunch of dudes breaking into her house and uh, and it's just fantastic. <laughs> Why have I never seen this movie? Because there's so many movies, Chris. We don't have time to watch all of them. Uh, but it's a great film. Uh, also, you know, Them, The Collector. Like, I, I'm a, I'm a, there are a lot of great films in this genre, but Your Next, I think, is one of the ones that just stands near the top, if not at the top of the list, because of all the ways that it kind of toys with your expectations. So we're going to get into what those are. <laughs> uh, so if you've never seen the film again, please go check it out. Rent it. It's well worth your rental dollars. Yep. Uh, otherwise, we are going to be spoiling everything now. So again, please check it out before listening to this. You don't want this movie ruined for you. It's great. Yep. <laughs> uh, so let's just, I think, start off with one of the obvious questions, which is the very title of the film itself and the fact that the killers take their time. <laughs> to leave the words you're next written in blood on the walls with a few of their victims. <laughs> uh, because as you pointed out while watching this, you know, they really don't have a lot of time to be doing this. <laughs> no, I... But, but, but they want to leave this note. So. <laughs> so, so what is your opinion on just that message being left in the title itself? <laughs> okay, I have to admit, I have a hard time logistically with these moments because you we get the first this is horror you can't apply logistics chris i know but like <laughs> the first time we get is when they're doing the title but the whole thing is is they wrote it backwards they didn't write it for the victim they wrote it for the audience well that's who they really care about you know, know. fuck Larry president's <laughs> character you know they they want us to know we're next <laughs> well and that's kind of my thing with it is like like, I feel like the year next, especially once we get to, like, the death of the mom and it's, like, all over the wall. Which, how the fuck did the Fox write that so quickly? I don't understand. Got oh, skills. He does. He's got mad skills. Blood graffiti. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's a new art. It's new art for me. You should look it up. <laughs> but, you know, I feel like, you know, it's your quintessential, like, you know, warning to the characters that there's a killer coming from but the way I kind of took it was it was a warning for the characters about the cannibalistic nature of their own family. Like, it's not okay. it's not just that, like, these killers are, like, coming for them. You know, the big twist reveal is that the killers were hired by Felix, played by Nicholas Tucci and, and Crispin, to off the family so that he can get money. Like we said, in spoilers now. <laughs> yes, we are in spoilers now. You know, and so I almost kind of feel like the fox is just like... Because, look, this dude is fucking stoned out of his mind. Like, he doesn't really give a shit. He's just the getting fox paid. The fox stoned. The fox is totally stoned. <laughs> Why do you think he's stoned? He's totally stoned. You <laughs> he is so just kind of like, look, nobody can be that relaxed while they're doing a home invasion murder. They can be if they're cold-blooded killers. No, <laughs> no. What makes you think they're stoned? I think not there, just the fox. Just the fox. Just okay, the fox. Um, 
No, I mean, I think I think that's an interesting theory. You know, it's. I mean, first of all, yes, I like I was saying a second ago. I think that the, you know, your next is is a traditional kind of fun sort of killer message that's yeah. left for us. You know, like mm-hmm. it, it's sort of a fun quotable thing, I guess, even though the characters don't say it. Uh, you know, something something akin to like, what's your favorite scary movie? You know, <laughs> like it, it's that it's that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and, and and in a sense, it's directed at the audience. You know, like you mentioned with the Larry Fessenden thing, it, it is directed at the audience in a way I think to kind of you know make us a little more scared to leave the theater that night and be like, oh my god, we could be next. <laughs> We're next, you know. But I think you make a good point that it can also relate to the family because the family is extremely cannibalistic as you say and and it is also a message to the rest of them of like you're all gonna die you know but so so this is this is my thesis for the night you know as i've realized i i tend to start these things off with just what is my what is my interpretation of the movie that i will (laughs) rant about for the next hour and um you know in this case i like to look at your next as just one big giant metaphor for a bad breakup. <laughs> okay, what the fuck? So, so we and I have get, very different takes on this. So we're gonna get into it uh, more, but in terms of just the year next thing. So, I mean, well, I mean, look at look at the movie overall. You know, mm-hmm. the, the movie overall, our core story is Aaron and Crispin, right? Yeah. Our core story is their relationship, and it comes down to the two of them at the end. And and her, you know, and him and him just basically being like, yeah, I totally wasn't gonna kill you, wink, wink, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And her putting, you know, a fucking uh, what is it, a, a screwdriver through his throat. You know, the whole movie kind of comes down to them, and it, and in a lot of ways, it's about the two of them. Mm-hmm. And and you know, you, you could argue that that's basically a bad breakup. Is her <laughs> is her having to kill him in the end? Um, and so. The year next thing, I'll explain. I'll yeah, explain I'm giving we, you time. I'm we, got, not... we got an hour. I'll explain as we go. Yeah. But the year next thing, you know, I, I think kind of an interesting way to sort of look at it is, you know, first of all, look at the opening scene here where you've got this girl, you know, this college student, fucking Larry Fessenden, who's, I think, supposed to be like, uh, I don't I don't actually know his profession, but he's clearly not rich. of college age yeah. and he's rich or whatever. You know, there's clearly some kind of manipulation or like using her there like she doesn't seem very happy you know like she kind of yeah she's definitely putting up with some bad sex well well yeah the sex (laughs) probably isn't that great and and you sort of get the sense of like you know maybe he is some kind of professor and she needs good grades or something like i I don't know there's something there though that makes it clear to the audience that she does not really want to be there Mm -hmm. and then and then you know we get your next written in her blood and then later, you have Barbara Crampton's character, who also vaguely kind of seems like an unhappy housewife. You know, mm-hmm. like she she doesn't seem too thrilled about the life that she has, uh, or at least not with her husband. You know, there seems to be some kind of distance there. And he is not a good husband. No. I mean, you know, first of all, he doesn't believe her, like, when she's basically wanting to get the fuck out of Dodge. Yep. You know, and, and leave the house because she thinks someone in there, like... She is absolutely correct. <laughs> and and he's supposed to be this fucking, like, you know, intelligent defense contractor who's into, like, military shit or whatever. To be he fair, sh- he was only in marketing. Yeah, so Crispin <laughs> says. I don't give a fuck what Crispin said, all right? He, he's involved in the military somehow. He should at least have some fucking knowledge of, like, 
hmm, yeah, things are kind of suspicious here. Maybe we shouldn't be staying at this house this weekend, you know? <laughs> like, so it's just another example of men not listening to women mm-hmm. uh, with that whole thing. And then later on, you know, he leaves his fucking wife upstairs alone during the home invasion. Like, he's a shitty husband. Yes, he is. <laughs> and, and I take note of the moment when Aaron is staring at the family photo and our shot of the family photo is not the whole family together. It's a close-up of Barbara Crampton. Mm-hmm. And you know? how uncomfortable she looks. And how uncomfortable she looks. I mean, frankly, the whole family looks uncomfortable mm-hmm. in the photo. But she, in particular, does not look very comfortable, you know? Yeah. Like, she she looks like a woman who is struggling to have the family that she wants and knowing that her family will never be that. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll never be like the happy family that maybe she once envisioned. Mm-hmm. You know, so I just don't picture her as a very happy character. No. And she's... The other character in this film who has your next written in blood on the wall. So that's two women who are not happy in their relationships who have your next written on the blood, written on the wall. And and not to mention, we're also dealing with a, a, a whole bunch of couples in the film, mm-hmm. many of whom aren't very happy. No, none of them are happy. <laughs> none of them are happy, really, right? No. Uh, I mean, the only ones you could argue are happy are... Um, are Amy and played by Amy Sametz and Tariq played by Ty West. Oh, they're not happy. But, uh, maybe not, <laughs> but they're the only ones who, you know, she seems excited to introduce Tariq to the family at least. That's You could only say that because Tariq dies so early on that we have no idea the problems of their relationships. Right, and they probably have plenty, you know, but yep. but the, po- the point is there's an emphasis on bad relationships in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's not lost on me that the message you're next is written in the blood of two women who are a primary focus of not being happy. Yeah. So I think the way that I kind of ultimately take it uh, with the message is that, you know, it's almost like it's supposed to be a warning to partners in particular, you know, women in relationships with men, almost like it's supposed to be a warning of like, you're next, you know, you're, Mm. you're the next victim of like this, you know, uh, a shitty dude, <laughs> basically, <laughs> you know, like you're the, you're the next notch on their belt. You're the next, uh, heartbreak, you know, mm. your heart's gonna be broken by them. And, and so it's like sort of a warning to the audience, but in a way, kind of a warning to, uh, Aaron as well of just like, you're next, like you're, you're next to have your fucking heart broken by this dude, Crispin, who, you know, you love or, or probably love, mm-hmm. uh, who turns out to be a pretty fucking terrible guy. <laughs> I can't believe that you're turning me around to this idea. Damn right. (laughs) Like, so for me, again, I read it more surface level. For me, it's very much about just like the, the greed of entitled rich people. Yeah. Which is very much a theme of the movie. I I think that that is the intended theme of the movie. This is just the one that I kind of take the more I sort of look at it. Well, here's the thing. I, it's one of those things of like, yes, I think like, you know, the rich just chewing people up and spinning people out and being selfish is definitely a huge part of this. But I don't think that your theme is too far, like, you know, out of the realm of like possibility for like it being a thoughtful thing. Mm. For the sole reason that there is not a single good couple. It would yeah. have been very easy for, you know, the writers or the actors to have one couple that was actually, like, solid. And, and there's an intention there. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the it's not like every character had to be a couple. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, we, we've both been to plenty of family <laughs> things where, like, 
there are single people, you know, yes. like, like it's not, it's not, I mean, you know, in the Midwest, it's like you reach a certain age and you have like a shotgun wedding because <laughs> you're expected to be like, you know, in a relationship and unhappy because that's how conservatives live. But yep. <laughs> you um, just get married off to the other single people. Right. Exactly. Whether you like them or not, you know, that, that's you want to sleep, wake up in an altar. Right. That's how conservative people like to live. They, they live under this idea of like, you're supposed to hate your significant other for some reason, but <laughs> Uh, but but aside from that, but no, there, there's an intention to have you know all of these couples and to kind of, and to show that none of them are really in a good place, you yeah. know. Um, I mean, or and if they are in a good place, like none of them seem very healthy. No, they, they don't seem like a healthy relationship. And even even the opening song, you know that the, like the lyrics to that, you know that I took away are all my life I've been looking for magic, you know, like... Oh my God, you could actually understand that? Well, we had subtitles on, so I can read. <laughs> I don't know if you can read too, but... <laughs> no, the lyrics of the song never came up. Okay, well then maybe I understood it. I don't know. I, <laughs> but yes, the, those are the lyrics. And, and you know, and that, that again just seems like I, I always... I always take what filmmakers give me first in a movie mm -hmm. as kind of their intention. Like I, and that's not always the case, you know, most of the time they're just trying to shoot a fun scene. Like I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure Weird probably was just trying to shoot an exciting opening. Right. Yeah. But there's a message there. And I take that as like, we're about to experience characters who are searching for something and mm -hmm. they can't find it. And it, this ultimately kind of becomes like a sort of theme of, toxic relationships you know so like not even just men and women but just toxic relationships in general yeah um and how they kind of you know suck <laughs> us in and chew <laughs> us up and spit us out <laughs> yeah for me i feel like it's really apparent when we look at the characters and their relationships with each other because i feel like our characters our siblings and our parents kind of uphold you know, kind of these traditional, almost like stereotypes or tropes that we see in families, but I think more predominantly we see it when we're dealing with like affluent families in films, right? Mm. Where like you have um the one kid who's in this case is the eldest, Drake, who is basically the brown noser, like just fucking sucks up to his parents all the time. You know, Crispin, who pretends to be the intellectual because he thinks that that's what he needs to be, but yeah. clearly sucks at it because he failed to get the goddamn fellowship. Mm. You know, you've got Amy, who's just trying so hard to, like, be, you know, the adorable youngest daughter, but, you know, she's dating Tariq, who does um, documentary films, so she's trying to prove she has some kind of substance when clearly she does not. Well, oh. right, which is why she freaks out when they don't even think that she can run the fast. Right? And she's like, you guys never believe me. You know, and then we've got Felix, who is so dedicated to being like, I'm angsty and the outsider. You know, and to your point, none of these people are happy. None of these people are happy, and they're all forcing themselves into these roles that I don't think any of them want to be in. And it's ending up with them having partners that they don't want to be in. Because, like... Like, specifically looking at, like, Felix and, and Z's relationship. Mm. Like, Z is awesome if a cold-hearted bitch. Um, yeah, and Z played by Wendy Lynn, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Like, I fucking love her, but this bitch is insane because she wants to fuck Felix on the bed with his dead mom. So hot. Ew! <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
you know, but I feel like it's that it's that moment for the two of them where like you kind of see that Felix is pretending to be someone that he's not. He's dating someone more extreme than he is because he's trying to like rile up his family and all of this shit. And I feel like that's you know, all the family dynamics that we're getting is these very unhappy people who have forced themselves into box in stereotypes that none of them want to be in and have made everybody miserable by dragging them down with them. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't, I see where you're coming from. I mean, they're definitely mostly miserable. and They're all miserable. <laughs> they're definitely all miserable. And, you know, and, and I would argue many of them not very good people. Um, but, but this is what ties into, I think, which is the intended theme of the movie, which is the sort of just, I don't, as you put it, cannibalism of the rich, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or just like the, the way that the rich acts, you know, mm-hmm. there's certainly a commentary here on rich people. And as I was looking, I realized that most of our month is actually kind of a fuck the rich month as well. So. I mean, when you're going to burn shit down, you got to burn the rich. Indeed. So, you know. There, there are there, you know, so there are a lot of examples of that. Like you mentioned, Tariq, and you know, Poor Tariq. It, and, well, and it's again very purposeful. I think that they make him this indie filmmaker who's only done like you know one documentary that was in this festival no one heard of like four <laughs> years ago. You know, it, it, that that right there in the way that Drake treats him is very much like a privileged douchebag uh shitting on someone because they're poor you know that yeah. that's essentially what it is is he's not he's not shitting on him for lack of talent or or anything like that it's really just shitting on him because he clearly doesn't have money yeah you know because he's an indie filmmaker and and you know so which i love that they cast ty west for that because when i think of ty west that is exactly how i think <laughs> well almost exactly how i picture him so, <laughs> or at least at that time um probably a little different now that he's done X, but, but no, you know, so they, they are just this family that, you know, seems to look down their noses at other people. And then of course, you know, we get the whole mention that they're fascists and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, which maybe they all aren't, but the dad <laughs> certainly is, Yeah, you know? And so it, it almost starts to make sense that, you know, Crispin and Felix kind of grow up with this idea of like, it's okay to murder my family for money, <laughs> you know, because essentially the family has had to do terrible things for money. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I don't know what the dad's whole history is or anything like that, but mm-hmm. you know, he's a fucking military contractor and nothing a, good comes from that. There, there's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's not exactly like a, an honorable position, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you have to imagine that he's been involved in some pretty terrible shit. And, and these kids have been raised with this idea of like, well, that's just how the world works. You know, you do bad shit for money. Yeah. And, and that's just how it is, you know. So, so it's almost kind of like a commentary on that, on how, like, you know, this, there's almost like this incestual sort of thing that goes on within the rich, as we kind of talked about in the movie Society, where, you know, they just, it, it's, it's this upbringing of this lack of morals of just like, Money is everything, and yeah. you do whatever you have to to get it. I mean, think about these two kids. Like, you know, it's not it's not even just that they're not doing well. I mean, we don't know about Felix, but it's not even just that they're not doing well. It's that they can't <laughs> – this sounds awful to say, but it's like they can't even just wait for their parents to die at some point. I mean, they're, yeah. they're older, you know? Like, they're mm-hmm. going to die eventually, and then you can have – 
whatever riches you need from them. But they, they can't do that. They can't even ask for the money that they clearly have, you know, like it's... Well, not even that. Like, it's getting into an entitlement that these boys have. Yeah, like they feel like the money's owed to them. Yes, and that, like, you know, who knows? They might have talked to their dad. They might have asked for help. But it's this weird thing where, like... They not only feel entitled to the money, but to such an extent that it makes more sense in their weird little fucked up brains to kill their whole family than, I don't know, get a fucking job like the rest (laughs) of us, you assholes. Well, I mean, yeah, and Crispin's a perfect example of Mm. just like complete white privilege, right? Because... Mm -hmm. You know, ooh, I didn't get my scholarship, so now I guess I have to murder my whole family. You know, it's just right? like, it's just, and and he seems to blame it on basically any other reason other than he just didn't do good enough. You know, yeah. um, like he he definitely strikes me as one of those guys who's just like, oh, you know, the it I only didn't get it because you know now they're like, uh, they're doing all these programs that hire non-white dudes, or, you know, something like mm-hmm. that. It's like. No, dude, you're just not good enough, and yeah. you need to try harder like everybody else. Like, yeah, they're <laughs> definitely, like, the embodiment of entitled people who have had everything handed to them. And I feel like you kind of even see it in this really small line where they're talking about the house. Crispin and Aaron are talking about the house and how it's supposed to be the dad's retirement plan. Mm. And Crispin kind of derives, like, Crispin kind of makes fun of his dad by saying, like, Oh, but he's hiring people to refurbish the house and kind of like looking down his nose at his dad not doing shit himself. At the same time, he's hiring fucking murderers. Look, if you're going to kill your family for money, (laughs) do it yourself, bitch. I mean, that's part of the irony of it, right? Is Mm -hmm. is that and that's a great point because it shows you how how hypocritical Crispin and Felix are Mm -hmm. and the attitude of the rich, which is just that. Money is everything, and you just throw money at things, and it happens, right? So, like, you know, because c- you do get example after example of that, where I, I there's a moment where Felix, you know, at one point is basically just like, I had to stand my own brother. That was your job. What am I even paying you for, you know? Uh, and that's just the thing is, like, they, they, they criticize the dad for not, you know, for, for paying people to build the house. And, mm-hmm. again, you know, that, that just shows you what kind of person the dad is. It's like, oh, I bought this retirement or I bought this home to work on it during retirement. And then I just pay people to do it, you know. But but then you see the kids. It's it's a learned lesson from them. Yeah. Their learned lesson is you just throw money at things and it happens, you know. Yeah. So and, and without having to take responsibility for anything. I mean, that even extends to the moment where, um, you know, we have our first of the killers have, has died. Um, the, the dude in the Tiger Mask, he's played by Simon uh He's played by Simon Barrett. He's died. His brother, the the lamb played by Elsie Holt, is super upset because that's his fucking brother. And he yeah. likes his brother. And Felix just thinks that throwing more money is what will solve, you know, a, a loved one being dead. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, it does. Because, <laughs> uh, because, because again, the theme is just like greed. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and and how just every like basically all the awful people in this movie are all just about money. Yes. You know? The last thing I want to say about the family though is that you know kind of going back to the theme of like bad relationships and everything is I also felt myself kind of looking at the moment when Barbara is scared in the driveway, mm-hmm. uh, Aubrey, whatever. Uh, when when the mother is scared in the driveway and she feels this need to like apologize to everyone for being upset and for 
being scared and, and all of it correctly, you know. Yes. <laughs> and and you know, she she feels like embarrassed and everything. And that also just gave me the impression of like, you know, oh, this is a traditional family where the the woman is looked at as quote unquote weak, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 you know, feels this need to like apologize for weakness. And you know, again, just ends up feeling like this very, you know, cold family that doesn't have like sympathy, you no. know, that that doesn't respect women, that looks, you know, at at, at women as like a, a trophy, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I almost kind of look at like I, I imagine Aubrey must be like this trophy wife to this dad, right? Like, oh, she <laughs> absolutely is, and it's something that I think is really interesting, hinted at throughout the film, is the fact that like we get a hint that Aubrey is on, she's on medication. for stuff but we're never told why we can tell that she's nervous and so i think it's i think you're exactly on the point this is a very unsupportive family environment where everybody's expected to uphold these roles Mm. that are frankly confining to everyone and we see it the most with with the mom because she's struggling the most with all of this well it's confining to them but you also feel bad for her because she has that moment where she's basically like you know, I'm just so glad to have everyone here. And you mm-hmm. and you end up getting the impression that like these kids never see each other, you no. know. And, and it's and it's really not because, you know, they're all off in like these big, you know, busy careers or anything. It's no, just that they're and, shitty and, kids. Right. And they're all still relatively young, you know. So it's like, no, they're just shitty kids. You don't see their parents, you know, because yeah. again, this whole family just doesn't really seem to have any connection other than the money that they share. So, <laughs> so gross. Pretty gross. Yeah, it's why, like, I'm not particularly heartbroken when this family gets targeted. Because, like, fuck this family. There's really not a good person among them. So I'm not mad when our, like, animal-faced killers show up. But I have to say, like, for the the killer design alone, it's one of my favorite parts of the movie outside of Aaron. Because I think these are some of the best killer designs that we've seen in a really fucking long time. I'm so fucking bummed that this isn't going to be a franchise. <laughs> like, I don't want it to be. I think that it totally makes sense that it's a one and done. But, like, just the the stark white animal masks with, like, the all black outfits mm. are so for me, so iconic and so cool and different from what we've seen in a while. And not only that, but the actors do a really good job of portraying the animals that their masks are. Because it's not just that they're wearing random animal masks, but like your tiger killer is the more aggressive of the killer. He's the one who's busting through fucking windows, grabbing Aaron's hair. You know, he's the instigator. The fox is more sly and sneaking around. And the lamb is so good at tilting his head like a confused (laughs) little lamb. Uh, See, I have a different take on that. So first (gasps) of all... um, You going to say bad things about my limpy lamb? No, no. I mean, fuck your lamb either way. <gasps> but the, the first of all, uh, you know, the, the franchise mention, um, I don't really want a your next franchise I, either. I don't. H- however, I did, you know, however, I did learn that the filmmakers intended to do a sequel and it never happened. I, I'm not sure why, because, again, I, I think, the you know, the film did relatively well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm kind of surprised that the studio didn't want to do the sequel that they had imagined. Uh, they they did not reveal what the sequel would have been, but they did talk about a part three that I thought was interesting, which is if they got to a part three, they kind of mentioned wanting Aaron to sort of go back to uh, the survivalist group that she grew up with, 
only to discover that it was actually like some kind of fucking brainwashing cult ah. <laughs> that she would essentially have to like take down, you know. Amazing. Um, would love and, it. Yeah, and that sounded super fun. I would definitely like to see that. But as for the animals, yes, first of all, just appearance wise, I, I think they're great costumes. You know, I, I do really love the mask. I think it's fun because, again, Year Next is kind of this mix of home invasion and traditional slasher movies yeah you know it kind of starts off as as sort of like a home invasion thriller and becomes sort of like a a traditional slasher movie and then ultimately culminates into like a combination of the two that's really bloody and fun and over the top and just entertaining um and the mass you know they almost they vaguely make me think like michael myers you know like Mm -hmm. they're like, and I think that's probably part of the intention is they're this stark white, you know, emotionless mass. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, like you mentioned with the lamb, he does do the whole head tilt thing, which is directly ripped from Halloween. It is, <laughs> but it's so good and has such a different effect when you're wearing a goddamn lamb mask. I disagree, but <gasps> it's... <laughs> Fuck you. I mean, I disagree that it has a different effect. It's the same effect no. of just like, oh, here's this creepy killer tilting their head. Uh, you know, very clearly inspired by Halloween. Um mm-hmm. But as for the the killers and the mask themselves, you know, the thing that I kind of think is fun about it is it sort of works a little bit in two different ways, which is one that, you know, we're looking at this rich family that's being targeted. And in a sense, the animals are kind of fun because they kind of could represent for you just like the the the. I don't want to say the lower, the the middle class, the the lower class, you know, the the other classes of humans <laughs> <laughs> who who are sort of like biting back, yeah. you know, against the rich and the quote unquote hand that feeds or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a sense, they're kind of like this uprising, you know, uh, of society coming back at the rich family. Um, but in another way that I think is more fun is that they, to me, kind of represent the killers within the family you know so you've got uh because there's three of them you know Mm -hmm. there's three animals and there's three hidden killers within the family you know felix crispin and z Mm -hmm. and well i'm not gonna sit here and like you know uh, proclaim that this one is this one and this one is that one you know you can kind of if you want to sort of do that like i think you know, I think the tiger is kind of a little bit Z. She's yep. very much got this tiger attitude to her. Agreed. Uh, Felix is a little bit of a fox, you know, and just how and just how like into all the sort of uh, uh, low life shit that he is, right? And just kind of <laughs> you know the backstabbing kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. then uh, and then I view Crispin as kind of like the lamb, although it's sort of you know the lamb's the only one that doesn't quite fit because mm-hmm. I kind of. Th- take it as sort of like a play on the wolf in sheep's clothing kind of thing. Okay. You know, like in sheep's clothing, but they're a wolf. Mm-hmm. Crispin's kind of that, because Crispin's like, you know, he he's seen as, especially by Aaron, as like this helpless one who can't get his hands dirty, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the person that he is. Like, he basically just bails out <laughs> when, when the plan's not going well and sits everything out while mm-hmm. Felix and Z are left in the house to kind of, try to help take care of things yeah you know so i sort of end up viewing him as kind of like the lamb um but either way i just i think they're supposed to be kind of stand-ins of symbolism for these three family members well one of them not quite but (laughs) these three sort of characters that are hiding behind a mask Mm -hmm. and these three killers are kind of wearing the mask 
of that character, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that does make sense. Um, I can definitely get with you on that. I also think one of the interesting things that the movie does with the the masked killers is we're very used to like you know our killers in masks are basically kind of i don't want to say emotionless but they're apart from the killing that they're doing for the most part and the one thing i do really like about your next is that there are very small moments where the masks get pulled up and we get reminded that these are people underneath this. Mm. Um, and I think going with our like whole rich people fucking suck and cannibalize everybody, you know, we have these moments where these killers are very much being used as tools for the rich to do their dirty work. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And so I like the moment. Which is how society works. Exactly. <laughs> rich, again, rich people throw money at things and have less wealthy people go do their dirty work. <laughs> exactly. And we have brief moments where our killers pull their masks up almost in a, in a moment to remind them like, hey, we're fucking people too. We're not just tools. Only to always get shut down by Felix and have mm. to pull their masks back down and finish the fucking job. And I think that's like a really cool like small commentary that we kind of get of like, you know, there's fucking people behind this who have their own motives and goals and dreams, but it doesn't matter because they have to go and kill for the fucking rich. Yeah, I mean, it is. And it, but but kind of going back to the thing I was saying about families that, mm -hmm. you know, or, or about their hidden selves is that like like there's also kind of just the idea that the killers have been hiding in the house the whole time. Mm -hmm. You know, like we learn with the pee bottle thing. <laughs> Which um, why would you touch that? Well, because don't touch he, the pee bottle. He was thirsty, Chris. You know, <laughs> and and listen, <laughs> when you're a horrible thing you could say. <laughs> when you're dehydrated and you're about to die, you just gotta drink whatever's available, right? So, <laughs> hey, listen, pee can be drinkable when you boil it. So <laughs> that's how people survive sometimes. You in can the drink it up uh, to eight times before it becomes. Okay, so there you go. So you know that. You, I'm, good fact. Um, <laughs> But but no, you know, there, there's no reason for us to know that the killers have been in the house. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's a nice play on the theme and just kind of this idea of like the killers have always been amongst you. Yeah. You know, it's Crispin, Felix, V, Z, you know, they're they're all there already um, amongst the family. And then I also really like the shot where the dad's wandering the house and we see the killer in the background. He he closes the door or he opens the door and then closes it, and then, oh, there's Felix and Z, you know? Mm -hmm. So it almost, again, is kind of implying of, like, they are the killers as well, you know? Yeah. That's why the fox is warning them, you're next. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think, I do think what ultimately Wainert and them are saying with it is that, you know, the, essentially, there's just this primal thing amongst people of, we're animals deep down, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, we're animals who are very much primal when it comes to sex and survival and that kind of thing. And, you know, so that's why we get the moment, I think, with Z wanting the fuck next to the dead mom. You know, part of it's to part of it's to be comedic and show that, you know, she's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but part of it's also just to show that we're fucking animals. You know, she just wants to fuck. Like, she's, mm -hmm. she's in the moment. She's full of this energy and just, like, wants to do it, you know? And, and then the killers themselves, like... It's, you know, they're animals. It's showing mm. we're animals. We're animals that uh, will cut each other's throats for, for money <laughs> for, for money in a spot at the top, you know, like that. It's it's just very much a direct kind of finger pointing at human beings and just being like, yeah, you're all fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like like most of us will, you know, very, there are very few of us out there, I think, that can say that 
we haven't backstabbed or thrown someone under the bus or something like that to get a one up on somebody, you know? Uh, like it's very much a part of the human condition. <laughs> what a sad sentiment. It, it is a sad yeah. sentiment, but it's true. But you know, you know who doesn't fall into this category? Well, Aaron, but Yeah. <laughs> Aaron Aaron's presented the the choice with with Crispin towards the end of like let Crispin live and get a payday or fucking take your vengeance on this man who made your life hell. And she chooses to stab him in the fucking eye, which I feel like is the best way to break up with someone. Yes, and this goes back <laughs> to my breakup thing. The, the, what I want to mention before that, though, is that, um, first of all, I just find it kind of interesting that, you know, or, or I find it kind of interesting, you know, the filmmakers sort of claim that, like, in their mind, Z is the ultimate mastermind behind the whole thing oh absolutely um and, and that the brothers were kind of like talked into it by her yeah i absolutely <laughs> when, beli- believe that yeah no me too you know she's very again she's very animalistic and cunning and and sexy <laughs> and sexy i mean <laughs> i mean you know I, I, yes no definitely which by, <laughs> which by the way i do love that she kind of has like the it's interesting. She kind of has the classic sort of Barbara Crampton hairstyle. Mm-hmm. Like she, she honestly reminds me a lot of Barbara Crampton from when she was younger. Goth Barbara and Crampton. It, goth Barbara Crampton, and then Barbara Crampton adopted that hairstyle after your next. So I, <laughs> I just think that's a fun little thing there. But, <laughs> but yeah, no. Aside from the killers all being privileged white assholes, you know, they're <laughs> they're greedy motherfuckers. Um, going back to the relationship thing, it. Again, it does really feel like this is sort of the crux of the movie, you know, and mm-hmm. and, and what your next is subtly, more subtly about, because you know th- there's that whole speech with Crispin in the end. Oh, fuck that, that dude! She should have stabbed him in the dick. Well, right, and it's a speech that makes you want to stab him in the dick. Mm-hmm. You you want to see him get stabbed in the dick, and the reason for that is is be and, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like this moment that so many people have heard from their male partners in life, you know, mm-hmm. of just like, you've got this dude who is sitting there, you know, basically saying things like, well, if, if it's your fault, you know, like if you would have just acted normally with that, like that's a direct quote from him. Like yep. if you would have just reacted normally, mm-hmm. you know, then, then things would be fine. And, and, you know, we wouldn't be in this situation. Like, and, 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 you know, I, I never intended for you to get hurt. And, and like, I love you, even though I ran and left you here to deal with this on your own, you know, like I promised I'd come back. Right. And didn't I live up to my promise? Like he is so, he is like, it's like gaslighting 101 is everything that he's doing to her. And I can just imagine so many women that have been in that place with a man of just like, you know, he's just going on this whole rant about how it's your fault. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he even has a line in there of like, if we think about this logically. Right, like, implying uh, that she's not. Like, yeah, she's, she's hysterical or and something. And she's totally <laughs> fair not to because she's been fighting for her life all night. Right, but she's also not hysterical no. as he's implying. So. Yeah, you know, I do agree with you. Like, in the end, it's basically this big eye-opening moment of 
you know, you do, when you are in love with someone or you start dating someone, it is very easy to get wrapped up in those feelings and not kind of realize all of these like tiny red flags. And I would say for a lot of us, you can make the argument that meeting the family for the first time is sometimes a make or break it moment for the couple because you're having to realize who your partner is around their family, Hmm. what that dynamic is. And I feel like it's something that like away from the family, Crispin could probably be a super nice dude. Mm. You know, he probably could, you know, fake that and fake that he's caring and all that kind of stuff. But you put him back in his home environment and suddenly you're dealing with this whiny, selfish man baby who Mm. can't help rise to like the temper tantrums. And like, like Matt has to fucking deal it, deal with it with me because my parents are rich and i'm very different around my family than i am at home not crispin level thank god not not crispin level (laughs) you know but dealing with that type of family like puts strains on a relationship and so yeah it's this eye-opening moment of did crispin ever even fucking love aaron well i I think this is all a good point you know and that that that's actually something i hadn't thought of which is yes you know you which yeah the, the whole family thing plays very well into this theme of like you just like you don't really know your partner until you're living with them, yep. you also get a really good sense of who your partner is when they're around their family mm-hmm. because you're right. You do because you do act differently, you know, because yep. you're you're around people that you you spent your life growing up with. So there's a yeah. there's a certain comfortableness there to where you act if not like yourself, like you, you're a different person. Basically, I am baby when I am around my family because I'm the youngest and I expect to be spoiled. You are, but, (laughs) (laughs) but at least it's not quite like Crispin. Um, (laughs) I don't expect to be murdered by your family. Although I, he kind of does worry about that sometimes. No, I did worry about this at first. I thought on our wedding night, you were all going to murder me, but (laughs) that's fair. No, I'm like Amy in this situation. I'm Amy. Yeah. You're more Amy, but (laughs) Which I, I guess, which me. I guess, you know, I, I fit as more of a Tariq and <gasps> that I'm just the, the poor starving artist. <laughs> but, but no, so. It sucks to suck, my love. It sure does. Um, so, but no, but so it does, it does work really well that way. And, and again, yes, you know, this is kind of like the ultimate breakup, right? And, mm-hmm. and the ultimate sort of movie about <laughs> learning the toxicity of your partner, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, <laughs> to discover that they want to murder everybody for money. <laughs> um, you know, so so there is there is just all of that. And, and you know, there's also the sense within your next of just, like, people's true colors come out uh, when, when they are put to the test, you know? Mm-hmm. And so just like relationships are put to the test under stressful moments, that's kind of what this is in a yeah. sense, right? You know, your next puts all of these different couples into these pressure cookers, and we kind of see how they all react with each other, you know? The... The dad leaves Barbara Crampton alone upstairs to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Kelly runs out on her her injured husband. Right. Kelly runs out on her injured husband. Crispin just fucking bails yeah. and is like, all right, see you fuckers later, you know? Um, uh, fucking, you know, Z wants to fuck Felix in, <laughs> in the midst of just chaos, you know? Like, like you, you begin to learn who these people really are in these situations. And for Aaron, she's learning that... You know, she is 
basically dating this dude who will not be there for her mm-hmm. uh, when the shit hits the fan, you know? Yeah, it's one of the things that I love about that final scene because Crispin is so confident in the fact that having a relationship and having money is the most important thing. Money is the most important thing. And Aaron kills him, and when he asks why, she goes, why the fuck not? Love that line. It's great, and I feel like that's Aaron at the crux of this. Aaron is a fucking fantastic final girl that we can't have too many of because she is so unique in the fact that she has come from a survivalist camp so she has a skill set we never see in final girls we have a lot of proactive final girls that we love we talk about them all all the time sydney and nancy but all of them are proactive in a reactive way the the situation happens and they do their best and towards the end they're able to plan Aaron, on the other hand, she's planning from moment one. Well, I disagree. Nancy is planning from moment one. Don't you fucking diss my Nancy. (laughs) No, no, no. Nancy's planning as soon as she understands what the situation is. Um, But Aaron doesn't even need that before she goes into things. And I fucking love it. I love seeing a final girl who is just so prepared to take on anything. The only slight negative that I have to bring up is the fact that we're doing the kind of typical thing with these badass girl characters that we see a lot where it's not just she's just awesome. It's she learned this because of her dad, because of a male figure, which happens. I have to point it out because I mean, well, the thing thing you have to remember there, though, is Mm -hmm. that that was not a common trope by this time. Yeah. Like that that was not a common trope for the the 2000s. It's become one. Mm hmm. But yes, I mean, I agree. Like, you know, it it always sucks to to see these great stories of women, and you find out like, oh, it's because some dude taught them, right? Yeah. Um, like a- that's definitely that's definitely uh, a, a knock on it. But again, at the time, this was fresh and original, mm-hmm. and and this is the thing that I love about Erin. You know, just to kind of wrap up here is that she she is this really great final girl, and you know, she's just such a fantastic subversion of again both the home invasion and slasher genre you know because the home invasion genre is typically like this unprepared family uh has killers break into their home and then they basically you know torture and manipulate them into a gruesome death right because that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of how most of them tend to end is yeah. it doesn't work out very well for the main characters nope. you know and then slashers you know again the, you typically have like you were talking about most of the time uh, a final girl who really is just reactive uh, or you get final girls like Sydney and Nancy who become proactive, but they're not, you know, they're not, they're not ready to just completely kick the killer's ass from the beginning. Which is totally and, normal. Which is totally normal. You know, yeah, most, that's most, why we love them. Right. Most people are not Aaron and it's why we relate more to like Nancy or Sydney. But, mm-hmm. um, but to see this, it's just so fantastic uh, for a lot of ways because it, it subverts the genre. It kind of does this fun thing where it sort of turns the final girl into the slasher villain yes. you know because Aaron herself <laughs> sort of becomes like a michael myers mm-hmm. or something like that right just this just this unstoppable force mm-hmm. <laughs> that that is going to fucking fuck you up <laughs> um and and we get a lot of great you know kind of icon shots with her like i love the shot with her in the window holding the axe mm-hmm. as she looks down on the killer that she just knocked out of there like that's totally a slasher villain shot right yes. of them of them looking at the damage that they've done you know mm-hmm. um but more importantly like fitting into the theme too is the reason i love Aaron and the reason i love that we started to get more characters like her after this you know not not always women that have this 
uh, upbringing of hers, but that do kind of surprise mm-hmm. uh, the killers and fight back and kick ass. Uh, the reason that I love her is because, you know, again, if you look at this film as sort of being about toxic relationships and the sort of ways that it's hinted to us of, you know, women being viewed as weaker or like especially seen through Barbara Crampton's character, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Aaron because she is sort of this example of like Crispin, Felix, you know, all the all these killers, all the mostly male killers just assumed that she was going to be another weak woman who would just die, right? Yep. And, and she basically is giving them the middle finger <laughs> and being like, just because I'm a woman doesn't mean you're going to fucking cut me down the mm-hmm. instant this shit starts, you know? Yep. Uh, like, she she eventually, she essentially stands up and, and fights for, like, all women and being like, don't you ever fucking treat me, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm just some weak girl, you know? Because uh, I, think, I think at one point Felix even makes that comment of, like, you know, you're all getting your asses kicked by some girl. <laughs> and, like, that's how they view her as yes. some girl. And it's mm-hmm. like, she's not some girl. No. No girl is just some girl, you know? They can fight back just as well as you fucking dudes, and Aaron is the proof of that. So. Uh, for me with Aaron is she's something that we don't always see, and she is a woman who knows her fucking worth. Yeah. You know, a lot of the other girls in this movie, unfortunately, have fallen into boxes have felt have fallen to societal pressures um and have you know the relationships like professors and their students all that kind of stuff and Aaron proves just in this moment that that's just not a thing like that happens to some women and it sucks but Aaron is the shining beacon of that doesn't have to be you you can stand up and stab everybody in the fucking head because she does not miss a kill shot Indeed. Everybody goes down. <laughs> they sure do. Aaron kills a lot of people. <laughs> she does. Aaron kills everybody. Well, not everybody in the movie, but she kills all the killers. <laughs> kills most of them. <laughs> all right, but we got to start wrapping up. So who is your killer idiot of your next? Dude, that's the fucking fox for going down into the basement chasing Aaron. That's a terrible idea. At this point in the movie, you know she's fucking dangerous, and you're walking into a trap. Yeah, but she's also been stabbed and stuff, so like... <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I, I I, can't give it to the fox. He's just doing his job, right? I, I'm giving it to Kelly, who runs away like a goddamn <laughs> moron. You know, like she, like the whole family's being attacked and she's like, all right, I'm just going to run out into the woods. I'm I'm sure I won't be shot or something out there by these fucking crossbows. Um, I do like her just being like, I'm out. Yeah, no. So so mine's, mine's got to go to Kelly. Just fucking total dumbass move. (laughs) (laughs) Numbers. There's strength in numbers, Kelly. (laughs) None of this family understands that. None of them do. They, they keep trying to like escape. And that's one of the funniest things about your next is just like how you have just such a large group of people that could have just stayed in a room together and they can't even manage that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about your killer death in your next? Okay, so I know that the Felix death with the blender is fucking amazing, but I have to go with Drake's because it's so fucking funny to me. Because it's Drake's, they're down in the basement and it's when Felix actually has to kill someone. And he's just stabbing Drake, and he's crying, and he's going, why do you have to make this so hard on me? Like, why won't you just die? And in Drake's death, it's all about Felix and his feelings, and it's just Mm. so fucking funny to me how fucked up that is. See, I love how you take the humor out. Like, It's a humorous death. I disagree. (gasps) I I mean, look, I think that that the 
the, there is humor in the sense that Felix, again, is showing his white privilege, basically. You know, yeah. He's showing his fucking privilege boy ass where he's, you know, making it all about him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually think that, uh, that, that Joe Swammer does a really good job of kind of bringing the emotion to that moment because he's kind of, you know, he's kind of the comedic character throughout most of the movie. Mm-hmm. But then it, you do get this moment where he's being stabbed and just like the the look in his eyes and the tears and everything like it's this real it's this real betrayal moment where he kind yeah. of lets all of that comedy go and really kind of flexes his acting muscles you know mm-hmm. um so so i actually view that movement that moment is very sad you it know because it's that moment like of realizing like fuck my own brother wants to kill me for a little bit of extra cash you know mm-hmm. like that that's a pretty shitty realization to come to so <laughs> But no, you mentioned it. It's the blender to Felix's head. I mean, yeah. that that was the coolest fucking thing. <laughs> it was fucking that, amazing. That, that I had seen a while, uh, in a while when it came to that movie. And I think I've replicated that in other things that I've written because I just fucking, <laughs> I love the idea of someone getting a fucking blender on their head, right? Like, uh, or, or, or a blend. Blender deaths in general are just really fun. <laughs> yes, agree. <laughs> Actually, I think I wrote a blender death before this movie. Now that I think about it, so... So your next clearly copied me. Um, <laughs> All right, hon. No, yeah, great moment. All right, what about your killer MVP? Uh, obviously, Aaron. She fucking kicks ass. Sharni Vincent. <laughs> no, the character. Sharni Vincent. <laughs> okay, fine, whatever. Oh, I am, no, I. she's one of my favorite final girls. Um, I love her, and we touched on it briefly. Just in slashers and so many killer movies, People end up attacking the killer and they miss or they run away or they damage them and they run away. And just seeing a final girl take the fucking headshot, make sure the killer's fucking dead before they move on. It's so fucking refreshing and I love her and I would ask her to marry me. Not the actress, (laughs) Erin. I would treat her so right. You keep saying headshot. I want the audience to be clear. Erin kills everyone. In the movie with a headshot. Every single person. Everyone gets the head. Yeah. Uh, which is which is to your point of like she doesn't fuck around with this shit. No. She knows what she's doing. Yeah, she <laughs> goes for where she knows she's gonna murder she, someone. She doesn't like hit the killer in the back of the baseball bat and then be like, All right, my job's done. I'm gonna go run away and leave them here. Oh, and I'm also gonna leave their chainsaw next to them too, <laughs> just in case they decide to wake up and use it on me. So. Oh, the <laughs> moment that she knocked Tiger out and then continuously like beat his head in, which is something we never see. We never see final girls make sure the killer's dead i just double tap that shit yeah i fell in love with her in that moment yeah no we we could all fall in love i mean look sharni vincent on her own fall in love with yes fucking gorgeous but <laughs> but aaron but oh aaron boy. but aaron especially although aaron would scare me a little bit because she's like I, the nicest lady she is the nicest lady but i feel like if i fuck up like i'm i'm gonna get um, my ass kicked i mean <laughs> if she kicks your ass you probably deserve it fair but you know i do a lot of things where i deserve to get my ass kicked (laughs) and i'd rather not have it kicked um uh, but no she's my mvp as well you know although i'm gonna say sharni vincent uh because i think sharni does an incredible job you know she does bring a great physicality to the role like this is not an easy role i I really hope audiences understand that like the final like these these quote-unquote final girl roles in general are not easy i mean you know, because well, this is not Sharni's character, Aaron. Uh, in a lot of these movies, you know, these women are screaming over and over again, mm-hmm. and like I cannot tell you how badly that damages your lungs, or 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 at least during the process, you know, because because um, you're doing take after take after take of just this physical shit, 
like it wears on your body. And so to see, you know, Sharni Vincent really going for it uh, with Aaron just getting really physical, mm-hmm. um, this is a difficult role. And she really put all of it into it. You know, like she uh, like she actually criticized Simon Barrett, uh, again, the writer of the movie, uh, who plays what, the fox, did you say? Uh, pre- oh, the tiger. Who plays the tiger, you know, like there's that moment where he grabs her through the window and she told him, like, you're not grabbing my hair enough, like really, <laughs> like really tug on it. You know, like she really wanted to be in the physical moment of mm-hmm. it. Uh, so she really pushed herself with this movie. And and it's why, like, I just, you know, it kind of bums me out that she really didn't become this huge horror star mm-hmm. after this. Because, you know, as people have mentioned to a tweet that I put up recently about this, like she did do bait. Uh, she did the Patrick movie uh, and she did the House on Willow Street. But you know, to me, three movies since 2011 were here like 10-ish le- years later, you know. Uh, she she really should have been a big star after yeah. this in horror. Uh, and I'm not sure what the story is behind that and why she wasn't. But hopefully it's not hopefully. too late. Hopefully she can come bring back. Bring her back. Like, bring her back like Barbara, you know. Yep. Let's let's see some more Sharni Vincent. But, <laughs> uh, but all right, so every week on Twitter, we put up a poll on Killer Critics, kind of in your thoughts and feelings on the film, what you think of it. So between love it, it's fine, don't like it, never seen it, where do you think the audience fell on your next? I just hope they all chose love it. That's my hope. I'm going to go with that because I'm a hopeful person. Well, you know that love it never gets every vote, but... <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, but in this case, yes, love it got 65.5%. Uh, it's fine got 16.4%. Don't like it got 1.7%. And a surprising 16.4% have never <gasps> seen it. So You guys are missing out. Big time. I mean, I know I say this almost every time that you all say you haven't seen it. <laughs> you do. But, but your next is really a film that you have to see. I mean, this film is so much fun. So those yep. of you that have not seen it, definitely go check it out. You, you are missing out <laughs> on, on one of the best Final Girls in horror. Agreed. Um, and just a really great horror film. Uh, so we always get comments from you all as well. So these are all from Twitter. So first up is at Blazin Blue Review. So that's B-L-A-Z-I-N-B-L-U Review. And they say, it's very much a love it. It did a lot of wonderful things I hadn't seen before. It was a tense experience watching it the first time, especially with not knowing where they were going to be coming from. Then the twist happened and flipped the script so beautifully. I agree. Like they did just such a masterful, they did such a masterful job of, you know, doing these reveals and keeping us kind of on our toes with the ways that the movie could go. That I just, I fucking love this movie. It has everything. It has yeah. everything. I know, it's great. I mean, you get twist after twist after twist in this movie, and, mm-hmm. and they're all very effective. They gel together really well. You know, none of it none of it seems out of the realm of possibility, you mm-hmm. know, so it all works. And yeah, and I, I, I felt the same watching this for the first time, you know, just a very edge-of-your-seat experience where you're kind of with it at first of just like, okay, this is interesting, this is kind of fun, this is sort of playing out like your typical home invasion movie, and then all of a sudden it's just like, holy shit, you know, this girl <laughs> kicks ass, you know? Um, so no, I, I love the way they flipped the script as well, and uh, so thank you at Blues and so Blue Review for the comment, appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at Jacob Davison, so that's, J- so that's J-A-C-O-B-D-A-V-I-S-O-N, and they say, I love it, was a fun subversion of home invasion movies, especially when they seemed pretty prominent at the time. 
Yeah, I think that I was lucky personally that I didn't watch a whole bunch of home invasion films. So for me, uh, your next is a slasher. That's just how my brain has decided this is a slasher movie. I mean, I mean, it's it's like I said, it's a it's a blend it's a of blend. both. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's very much uh, pulls from both of the genres. Yeah. But I feel like that speaks to how well they subvert the the home invasion genre and the fact that it feels like it has all of these different themes in it, and it's just great. Yeah, no, it, so it's like Jacob says, you know, it's a really fun subversion of it. Um, and they were prominent at the time, you know, like I mentioned a few, like uh, basically all the ones that this was based on, like The Strangers and Funny Games and uh, The Collector and them. And, you know, there were a bunch of the the 2000s were this period of just like grim, dark horror. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, you know, Home Invasion fit very well into that. So we did get quite a lot of these. And so I think that just speaks to like how good your next really is because it kind of came, you know, you could say at like the tail end of the popularity of these movies and still managed to do something that just completely flipped the script. Yeah. You know, so, so no, yeah, I completely agree with Jacob. So thank you at Jacob Davison for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at seriously David. So they say, great movie. The scene with the digital camera in the basement is so good. I never tire of this film. I agree with you. I can watch Year Next like so many times and never get tired of it or notice new things. And yet the um, you know the the camera kill at the end is just so brilliant. Although it makes me question how she can see what's going on. But I don't doubt Aaron because she's amazing <laughs> and a goddess. Sure. So, so yes, no, digital camera scene is great. I love it. Uh, very tense, very well done. Uh, and I never tired of this film either. You know, this is kind of one of those movies I was thinking as we were revisiting it of just like how badly I wish we would return to more of this kind of film, mm-hmm. you know, because I got to tell you, like, look, I don't, I'm not complaining about the horror genre as it is. There are a lot of great movies. I love it. But you all have to understand, I watch literally everything that comes out <laughs> in the horror genre and and you just you do get to a certain point where it's like i can only take so many hauntings and trauma horror (laughs) you know like these movies that are just like very intimate and and depressing and that kind of stuff like i can only take so much of that before i'm like i'm just really craving a year next you know and and it's not to say we don't get movies like that right now but i just want more i i want i want i want to get back to more of this I want more of a mix. Let's get yeah. back to more fun. And we can still have our trauma horror, mm-hmm. but I want both. <laughs> yeah, we need these kind of fun movies that we can watch over and over and over again. Like, Your Next is brilliant for the fact that we can watch it while doing work or chores or anything right. like that. And exactly. Like, I really love Midsummer. It's not a movie I want to watch every day, though. No. You I know, think... whereas Your Next is something I can watch literally anytime you put it on. So. Yeah, I think the only other one I can think of recently is Psycho Gorman because it's great. I mean, there's definitely a lot of others, but yes, yeah, Psycho Gorman was a good example of the kind of stuff I wish we had more of now because uh, I'm trash and I have no taste, I guess. But <gasps> Psycho Gorman um, is great. It is great, but a lot of people would disagree with me. Um, <gasps> so anyway, thank you at Seriously David for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at 324 underscore B21. So these are the numbers, 324 underscore B21. And they say, your next is wonderful. I saw it in the theater and commented after I walked out how it was the best horror movie I had seen since The Descent. I still stand by this. This movie was also my introduction to Mumblecore slash Mumblegore and to Nicholas Tucci. He is missed every day. What the fuck is Mumblecore? Mumble Mumblegore is basically... So like, there's the genre of Mumblecore, which is basically just like 
low budget indies that are very character focused okay. and, and more about character than plot it is kind of the simple way to describe it, I guess. Uh, and Mumble Gore is basically the horror version of that. You know, like like movies like this, movies like Ty West's House of the Devil, which are smaller indies that are also very violent. <laughs> awesome. I learn new things every day. I agree with you. Mumble Gore seems awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I also agree, you know, Nicholas Tucci, great actor. He has missed. Um, very sad that he passed away. Anyway, no, I, I felt the same leaving the theater. You know, I thought that this was one of the best things that I had seen in a while. Mm-hmm. It completely lived up to ex- expectations. The, the trailer made me very excited, and I felt like your next delivered. So yeah. Um, so anyway, thank you at three two four underscore b two one for the comment. Appreciate it. And then lastly is a comment from at Shannon Morant. So that's S H A N N O N M O R A N T. And they just ask, where do you rank Aaron as a final girl? Is she top five for you? Absolutely. Like, Aaron is definitely, I'm never good at putting together top five because it's usually whoever I watched most recently. Okay. <laughs> um, but I think I can consistently say that Aaron is always in my top five, again, because she kicks ass in a way that we don't see a lot of final girls kick ass. And I appreciate it, and I find it sexy as hell. Yeah, I think that I could definitely say that she's probably a top five for me, you know, because I, <gasps> That's high praise from you. Well, I mean, you know, so when I when I think of like some of my favorite final girls, you know, it's Sydney, it's Nancy, yep. it's it's Alice from A Nightmare on Elm Street. Um and I do think that that Aaron probably fits into there because I do just really love her character in this mm-hmm. and how kick ass she is. So so yeah, I think I think James, I think you could say she's top five for me. So yeah. <laughs> um but anyway, so thank you at Shannon Rant for the comment. Appreciate it. And then Lastly, just our releases for the week. So, uh, not a week I'm super excited about, but Aww. but um, a couple interesting things. So, first was a film called The Summoned, which comes to VOD on the seventh, and this is basically a a play on Faust. You know, very very heavily inspired by that story uh, about a guy and his super famous girlfriend who go to this uh co- like couples therapy retreat, and he begins to suspect that there's something kind of off about it and whatnot um this one i i thought has some good things about it but it's also very convoluted and kind of i don't know it it didn't really do much for me uh so so yeah i wasn't a huge fan of the summon uh it's not bad it's just not one that i'm like yeah go watch the summon yeah um but that's on vod on the 7th uh, another is on the third day, which comes to Shutter on the seventh. This one I do like. It's it's a story that probably throws a little bit too much at you, uh, but I do think that some of the revelations in it are pretty fun. Uh, I think it's I think it's well directed. Like I I found that it has a really good atmosphere to it, uh, and I like the performances. Um, not really much that I want to say about it. It's basically about a woman who's in a who's in a car accident, if I remember correctly, and wakes up and her son is gone and she's trying to find out what happened to him and to say any more would spoil things, but it's a a very interesting movie. Somebody stole her baby. So of anything that you watch this week, I think that one's probably the more more interesting one that that I enjoyed the most. And then lastly is a film called Incantation, which comes to Netflix on the 8th. And this, I believe, is a kind of deals with, you know, the sort of like whole video curse thing. Uh, I don't know much about this one. I haven't seen it, uh, but hopefully, 
you know, it'll be a fun watch. Uh, but again, that's on the on Netflix on the eighth. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about the 2018 film Revenge, <laughs> uh, which is streaming on Shudder. So you can do your homework and watch it there if you haven't before. Cannot wait to talk about this one. I love this movie. Um, and that's going to do it for us on your next. So I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a great night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, Please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs> <laughs>